Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament passage of Isaiah, the Old Testament book of Isaiah, in Isaiah and chapter number 35. Isaiah and chapter number 35. Now, as we continue to go through our studies of the millennial kingdom, we're in the part where we're starting to hit the nuts and bolts, starting to hit more of the details of what the millennial kingdom will be like. We took time this morning to explain what the Garden of Eden was like and be able to take the scientific uh, discoveries that we were able to find and then have an understanding that God is going to bring those Garden of Eden conditions into the millennial kingdom. Now, whereas we took time to talk about science and it was a lot of good stuff this morning, we're going to turn to the Bible now in the next two messages to add upon that knowledge with a backdrop in mind. What does the Bible have to say? And as we turn to the book of Isaiah, you're going to find through the rest of this series that we're going to refer to Isaiah quite a bit. Why is that? Well, Isaiah puts a great emphasis on the coming of Jesus. Christ. Now, oftentimes it doesn't put a differentiation between the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Both of those events are very, very important, and both of those events deserve lots of influence and a lot of um, emphasis. And the first coming of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came to this earth not to rule and to reign, but to come robe himself in flesh and die on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried on a borrowed tomb, and then he rose again the third day and ascended up to heaven. And one day that same Jesus is going to come back, not to die that second time, but he is coming to rule and to reign. And the idea of Jesus' coming kingdom becomes a great emphasis all throughout the book of Isaiah. In fact, throughout the book of Isaiah, a good portion of it deals with Jesus Christ ruling and reigning and what we often call the millennial kingdom. One of these millennial kingdom passages we find in the book of Isaiah and chapter number 35. Isaiah chapter number 35. And if you don't mind, let's start together in verse 1. Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 1. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. 
Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons, where each lay, shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those. The wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And with this, as we tackle this passage and open it up and then refer to others, we want to see the conditions of the millennial kingdom. The conditions of the millennial kingdom with an idea with how the conditions refer to us as man, as we perceive them, as they affect us, the conditions of the millennial kingdom. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you just rejoicing, seeing what a wise and magnificent and wonderful God that you are, we're asking that we'd be amazed by you again, seeing your plans, your creation, your desire, and that we'd be able to open up the Bible and have good discernment to be able to see what your scriptures say, that we could rejoice in what you have planned for our future in the millennial kingdom and see a wise God, a creator God, a God who knows what he is doing. And that we could rejoice in seeing you high, holy, and lifted up. And that as we see you high, holy, and lifted up, we'll see ourselves as we truly are. And that we'd see the work that you have as it needs to be seen. Lord, I dare not trust my own. I'm asking that you would revive my own heart, revive my own soul, revive my own spirit for the purpose of being used as an instrument in your hands today. Fill me with your spirit and that you would guide and direct, put things in order And that we could just look up to you in the midst of all of this. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you don't mind, what we're going to do is because I like expositional preaching. I like being able to take a passage and open it up. What we're going to do in tonight and on Wednesday night is we're going to take two different passages and walk through those passages and see how they make reference and go to those other references to the conditions of the millennial kingdom. Isaiah 35 is very clearly a millennial kingdom passage speaking about the future event where Jesus Christ is going to rule and to reign. And as we describe how the world is at this time, we can see that there is a lot of miracles, a lot of healing, and a lot of restoring going on during this time. If you don't mind, let's just walk through this passage and see some other things about the conditions of the earth during the millennial kingdom. The first thing I want to bring to your attention and work with you is that first of all, God will restore Garden of Eden conditions. God will restore Garden of Eden conditions. Notice with me verse 1. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom 
as a rose. Now remember that the topography and <laughs> the biome of Israel at this time in Isaiah's time and ours is that it's a very arid place. It is a desert. It's not a place where you're going to see a lot of green. Of course, if you add enough water, anything will turn green. But the problem is they don't have a lot of water. And so here it is referring to this place of Israel, the place of this promised land, the plant, place where God had put here that this wilderness. Now, remember, the wilderness is a little bit different than American wilderness. We're not talking about trees and forests. The wilderness in the Bible refers to the desert. As the children of Israel were crossing the wilderness, it was a desert. And so the wilderness and the solitary place, meaning the place where nobody lives at, shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. During the millennial kingdom, when God restores the Garden of Eden conditions, we're going to see even the deserts become a place thriving full of life. Notice with me at the end of verse 6, it says that this, there shall be streams in the desert, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. What a wonderful picture that God is going to restore. He's going to put streams in the desert where life will be able to spring from. Verse number 7, and the parched ground shall become a pool. And the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of dragons. Notice that phrase. We'll talk more about that in our creation seminar. But this is a poetical phrase that's used quite often in the Bible to carry the idea of a desert. It's a poetical term with the idea that dragons, which are lizards, reptiles, that they're usually found in the deserts, that the dragons, dinosaurs, Lizards live in the desert. So the habitation of dragons, meaning that no guy's going to live there, no person's going to live out there. It's too, it's too hostile territory. That's where you're going to find the dragons at because there's no people, plus it's warm territory. They could thrive out there. The habitation of dragons, again, long explanation before saying it's a poetical term of deserts. For the wilderness, sorry, in the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. So all of this is speaking about this desert territory is going to be restored. And instead of being a desert, it's going to be a place with streams, with life, with green, with plant. It's going to be a habitable place once again. Well, the Bible talks about this becoming the Garden of Eden conditions. Let's look at a couple different passages. We're going to do a lot of uh, flipping back and forth. We're always coming back to Isaiah 35, but let's kind of look and see some other things. Turn with me to Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, once again, speaking about a <coughs> millennial kingdom passage. We had spoken about this passage earlier, talking about the new covenant as it was restated. It was restated here in the book of Ezekiel 36. Notice with me in Ezekiel 36 and verse 35. Ezekiel 36 and verse 35. And they shall say, this land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden. Well, you can't get any more plain than that. That God is going to restore Garden of Eden conditions. It's going to be just like the Garden of Eden. That they shall say this land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities shall become fenced 
and are inhabited. That one of the things about the Garden of Eden or the millennial kingdom is that God is going to reestablish the Garden of Eden conditions. Now, if we're going to talk about reestablishing Garden of Eden conditions, we need to understand what was lost during this Garden of Eden times when man was kicked out. What ruined it? What caused it? What was the curse? We'll turn back with me to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and let's see what was the curse that was placed on the ground. And Genesis chapter 3 should be one of those passages that just hearing the reference, you know immediately what it's speaking about. The Genesis chapter 3 records the fall of man when the first woman ate the first man out of house and home. That what is happening in Genesis chapter 3 that, that because of God gave a rule, just one rule, that you can eat out of all the plants here, but just don't eat this one. This one's mine. Now, there was nothing wrong with that tree other than God said, don't do it. By the way, that's a good lesson for us to learn. What makes anything right and wrong? Because God said it was wrong. He's the one who is our moral compass. He's the one that states what's right and wrong. That helps us because if you try to get an argument and a debate and a logic thing, trying to explain why smoking's wrong, why drinking's wrong, why lying is wrong, people could come up with all kinds of logical reasons why you should lie. Why should I lie? Well, it's because I don't want mom to hit me when she asked if I'm fat or not. You know, we, we say, well, you're supposed to lie not to hurt people's feelings. And we, we come up with reasons why we should lie, why we should cheat, why we should do other things. What makes anything right or wrong? Because God said it was wrong. There was nothing poisonous about that tree. The only thing that made it wrong is that God said, don't touch it. You can have anything that you want. By the way, people look at the prohibitions. They say Christianity is a bunch of don'ts. Don't do this and don't do this. Well, isn't that just like Satan to get us distracted? They were able to eat of everything except for one. And instead of being satisfied that they could have all this other, all they could focus was the one thing they were told not to do. And so (laughs) Eve was deceived And Satan said, look and see. She saw that it was good for food. She took and ate and then gave to Adam who also ate. Now, Adam was not deceived. He disobeyed. He made a conscious choice. Now, because of this, the woman, Satan, and man were all going to have consequences for their actions. Notice with with me as we see these consequences starting to be given out. Genesis chapter 3, notice with me in verse 14. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14. And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed from above all cattle and above the beast of the field and upon thy belly thou shalt go and dust thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. Notice what is the first curse that we find here? There's a curse upon animals. Do you know that up to this time there was no death in the world? Meaning no, no animal or no person died. The Garden of Eden had been running for approximately 100 years and during this time no dogs died. No suicidal squirrels died. There was no death. But now, because of the sin of man, 
It now changed everything and is moving from Garden of Eden conditions. And one of the first curses was upon the animals. And part of the curse that now had is that animals are going to eat other animals. Why are we so afraid of a lion? Because we're afraid he's going to eat us. Why are you afraid to wander around a desert by yourself when you have, hear the coyotes baying? Well, you don't want to get eaten. There's a curse now that was placed upon the animals that now as everything changed, death entered the world. And part of it is that animals were now going to eat other animals. There was now going to be a fear of animals because there's now a curse. The animals are cursed. Well, what's going to happen when the Garden of Eden conditions are restored? The curse of the animals will be removed and we'll no longer fear other animals. We'll see this here in a bit. What else do we see as a curse? Well, notice with me is verse 16. And unto the woman I say, thou will greatly multiply thy sorrow in conception, and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, what's the curse? The curse is not having children. That is a blessing. What is the curse? Notice this, that thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. What in the world does that mean? That means women... Your issue is that you're always going to try to be the boss of your husband. That means things are out of order. Things are out of order. That's what ladies are going to have to fight with is learning to submit to their biblical authority instead of beating them over the head because they're stupid. That's going to be the curse that they're going to deal with. When the curse is removed, things are going to be set back into order. Notice something else. Verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground, notice this, for thy sake. And in sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. Now notice the earth is now cursed. The ground is cursed. Now, by the way, God says, I'm not doing this to be mean to you. I'm doing this because you need it. What do we need? We need to work. When we don't work, we get in lots and lots of trouble. When we don't work and don't work hard, we are opening ourselves to sin. We become very vulnerable. God created us to work. Work was not the curse. What is the curse? It's now going to be hard work. The ground is not going to work with us. We're going to have to fight against it. Thorns and thistles. Now remember, we started off as an agricultural society. I meant to be able to take the ground and to plow it. Because you don't have a plow, you have to take your hands and you have to... Exaggeration, but doesn't it feel like it sometimes? The work is a little bit harder than what you think it should be. And the ground and everything fights against you. Why? Because we have to trust God. It's not going to work for us ourselves, but the ground is now cursed. The gr- not only the animals against us, but now the ground itself, the earth is against us. We're now living in a world that is sin wrecked without a doubt. It seems that even nature itself seems to be against us. Tornadoes, blizzards. Do you know that up until this time it had never snowed? Snow is a curse of God. I say that every winter in Wisconsin. 
We wouldn't have had it if it wasn't for Adam and Eve messing up. It is a curse of God. (laughs) But all of nature is against us. But during the Garden of Eden condition, or Millennial Kingdom, when God restores Garden of Eden conditions, nature will not be against us anymore. Isn't that a blessing? What was another thing that happened, another curse? Verse 19, just to read on. In the sweat of thy face, by the way, sweat is good for you men. It's good to work. And the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thy return to the ground, for out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and from dust thou shalt return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And unto God, Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make them coats of skins and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, man has become one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him, Adam, forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. What's the third curse? We were removed from the presence of God because of our sin. When God restores the millennial kingdom to garden of Eden conditions, that curse will be removed and we could once again be in the presence of God throughout the millennial kingdom and eternity future. I'm so thankful that God is going to restore things back to Garden of Eden conditions. That the curse will be removed. The curse of the animals. The curse of the ground. And the curse of us being removed from the presence of God. Turn back with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Isaiah 35. And let's see some more about the conditions of the Millennial Kingdom. That first of all, God is going to restore Garden of Eden conditions. What else do we find? Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 2. And shall blossom, or it shall blossom abundantly, and rejoice, even with joy and singing. And the glory of Lebanon shall be given to the excellency of Carmel and Sharon, and they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Notice with me in verse 10. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What's the second condition we find here in the millennial kingdom? It will be a place of rejoicing. It will be a place of rejoicing. You see, it's going to be a place where creation and man will both be praising God and singing glory to his name. For those of you who don't like singing, you better practice up because you're going to do a lot of it in the millennial kingdom. That singing, by the way, is one of the best ways to show our praise and adoration of God. Whenever we refuse to sing, we are withholding glory and praise and honor to God. It is a very big thing not to sing when we have an opportunity to sing. And God makes a big deal out of it. You know what you're going to hear in the millennial kingdom? Singing. All the time you're going to hear singing. Singing, singing, singing. Rejoicing and praising God. Why? Because we're going to be there beholding a masterful, wonderful God. And we'll have no other choice but saying, wow, what a God. What a God. What a God. Notice if you don't mind. Isaiah says quite a bit about this. Let's look at a couple passages. Isaiah 12. Isaiah 12, the entire chapter. Chapter 12. It's only six verses, so don't. But notice with me Isaiah 12. 
And in that day, what day? The day of the millennial kingdom. That's the reference it's speaking about. And in that day, thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, though thou was angry with me. Thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Isn't that a blessing? That during the millennial kingdom, we're in Isaiah 12. We're going to be there and say, God, you were once angry with me because of my sin. But guess what? You saved me and forgave me. And oh, what a God. Isaiah 12, verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and be not afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. You know, that that phrase that the Lord has become my strength and my song and become my salvation is used three times in the Bible. And here it's dealing with a millennial kingdom that God is my strength, he's my song, and become my salvation. Notice he goes on verse 3. Therefore, with joy, we shall draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day, what day? Millennial kingdom. In that day shall ye say, praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord. Why? For he hath done excellent things. This is known in all of the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Oh, what are we going to do in the millennial kingdom? It's going to be a place of rejoicing. Turn with me to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, and notice with me in verse 7. Isaiah 14, verse 7. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. You know what happens when you get a quiet lull in the millennial kingdom? We're going to break out with singing and rejoicing. What a wonderful God. Turn with me, if you don't mind, Isaiah 25. Told you Isaiah is full of the millennial kingdom passages. Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25, and notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 8. Isaiah 25, verse 8. He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off the faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off the earth. The Lord hath spoken it. And it shall be said in that day. What day? The millennial kingdom. The day that God's doing all of this. Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him. And he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. And we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Why are we going to glad and rejoice? Because this is the fulfillment of his promise for us. That not only is he going to save us. But he is going to bring us with him. Restore us. Give us a brand new body. And allow us to live with him in his presence. That's enough to sing about. Enough to rejoice about. We'll turn back with me to Isaiah 35 and let's see some more about the conditions of the millennial kingdom. That first of all, God is going to restore Garden of Eden conditions, going to remove the curse. It's going to be a place of rejoicing that every chance we get, we're going to sing in praises to God. We're going to rejoice in Him. It's going to be a place just known for rejoicing. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to Isaiah 35 again. And notice with me in verse number three, strengthen Ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble knees. Say unto them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear 
not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even to God with a recompense, and he will come and save you. Notice with me verse 9. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon, and it shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. All of these passages here is giving the idea that it is a place of peace. Something about the millennial kingdom that deals with the conditions that deal with us, it's going to be a place of peace. You'll have no reason to fear there. Let's see what the Bible has to say about this idea of being a place of peace throughout the Bible. Again, we're sticking with Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Notice with me Isaiah chapter 2 and verse number 4. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4. And he shall judge among the nations, and they shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You want to know about the millennial kingdom? We don't need weapons. Why? We're not going to fight. There's no more nation versus nation. There's no reason to have to defend yourself. It will be a place of peace. Notice with me Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Notice with me in verse 6. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. How long do you think that would last in today's economy, today's society? Not long the wolf would have supper. But again, because the curse is removed from the animals, that it's going to be a place of peace even among the animals. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. This is a goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. Could you imagine the baby cow laying right next to the lion and spending time together and it lives? That's what it's going to be like in the millennial kingdom when the curse is removed. And a little child shall lead them. Can you imagine that? Having <laughs> one of these small little children leading the lion along. Come on, buddy, let's go. And the lion's like, let's go, no problem. Can you imagine that? Verse 7, and the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. Can you imagine a bear cub hanging out with a cow, like calf? playing and getting along with each other. And their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Remember the curse is going to be removed. Animals are not going to eat animals. They're going to go back to eating plants. Verse number eight, and the suckling child, meaning like the little toddler, shall play in the hole of the asp. An asp is a poisonous snake. Now for those of you who don't want to touch snakes now, can you imagine if you saw a little child today and they have a viper like wrapping around them, you would probably kind of freak out a little bit and say, I got to rescue the child. But it's going to be normal in the millennial kingdom to have a sn snake playing with a child. This child's like, hey, you want to see my snake? The suckling child shall play in the hole in the asp and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. Again, that's another type of snake. The kids are like, I'm not afraid of snakes. Can you imagine? Most kids today have a innate sense of being afraid of a snake because they have good sense, right? 
But there's going to be something different. The curse is going to be removed. It's going to be a place of peace. Isaiah chapter 32. Isaiah 32. Isaiah 32. Notice with me in verse 17. Isaiah 32 and verse 17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. What's going to be the millennial kingdom? What is it going to be like? It's going to be a place of peace. You don't have to worry about war. You don't have to worry about animals. You don't have to worry about attacking or bandits, robbers, terrorists. You're going to dwell in a peaceful habitation. You'll be able to take a nap and don't have to worry about whether the door is locked. You don't have to worry about whether the keys are in the vehicle or not. It's going to be a place of peace. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54. We could go to several different books of the Bible, but for our purposes, so we're trying to stay in just one book because Isaiah has a lot. Isaiah 54. Notice with me, if you don't mind, Isaiah 54. And notice with me, verse 13. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. You know, one thing's about parents. In fact, I said this statement, I did not know what fear was until I became a parent. Then you start having a lot of things to worry about. You start worrying about things that you probably shouldn't worry about. But in the millennial kingdom, you know what is going to be categorized? That even our children will be in peace. The children that are born there and the kids will never have to fear any danger. Isn't that a great place? It will be a place of peace. Well, turn back with me to Isaiah 35 and let's see what else the conditions of the millennial kingdom is going to be like. It's going to be a place where the curse is removed. It's going back to Gardevin conditions. It'll be a place of rejoicing. It'll be a place of peace. Notice with me in Isaiah chapter 35 and let's see something else that categorizes, describes this place. Notice with me in verse 5. Isaiah 35 and verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart. And the tongue of the dumb sing for in the wilderness shall the waters break out and the streams in the desert. Remember that we spoke about this morning of Garden of Eden conditions. That one of the things about the Garden of Eden is that it has rapid healing. That you're able to heal overnight. What is the, gar uh, the millennial kingdom going to be like? It's going to be a place of healing. That those who enter in who are blind, they now can see. Those that were deaf... They can now hear. Those who were lame and couldn't do anything, they can run and jump like a heart, like a deer. The tongue, who, the people that were, could not use their tongue, could not speak, they're going to be able to sing. It's going to be a place of healing. 
Oh, what a wonderful place it would be. In fact, notice with me to a couple passages. Isaiah 33. Isaiah 33. Notice with me in verse 24. Isaiah 33 and verse 24. And the inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. Why? Because sickness is going to be removed. If you get sick, broken bone, you're going to heal overnight. And the inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven of their iniquity. Oh, I'm so thankful that it's going to be a place where people are going to be sick. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 30. We'll just take a quick little detour. Jeremiah chapter 30. We're going to see that sickness is removed. Jeremiah chapter 30. Notice with me in verse 17. Jeremiah 17, uh, 30 in verse 17. For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord, because they called thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, whom no man seeketh after. Now, of course, the context is dealing with Israel, but as a millennial kingdom passage, we also see that God is going to restore health. It's going to be a place of healing. Turn with me to Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29. Not only is sickness removed, but we see the healing of the deformed. The healing of the deformed. Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to verse numbers. uh, Isaiah 29, verse 17. It is not yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest, and in that day, what day? This millennial kingdom. In that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness." And the meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among them shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. What's going to happen in the millennial kingdom is that the healing of the deformed, sickness is going to be removed. It is going to be a place of healing. What else is the millennial kingdom going to be like? We'll turn back with me to Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, let's see more about what this passage says. Turn with me if you don't mind. Isaiah 35 verse 8. Isaiah 35, verse 8. And a highway shall be there and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. What is this place going to be categorized as? It will be a place of holiness. It will be a place of holiness. We see that about the millennial kingdom. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 4, notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 3. Isaiah chapter 4 and in verse number 3. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy. Even everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. And when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the mist thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. What we see here is that there's going to be a cleansing, and from that, people should be purified and called 
holy. What is the idea of holy? The idea of holy is that God bringing us to the place, lifting us up to him and to his standard instead of the filth and muck where we're at. What's going to happen is that instead of living down in the basement, we're going to be lifted up to be like Jesus and live like him and talk like him and enjoy the things like him. Oh, it's going to be a place of healing. Notice if you don't mind as we continue on and Isaiah 35, Isaiah 35. So we're talking about some of the conditions of the millennial kingdom. And we're just taking one chapter and just walking through it. We're going to take another chapter on Wednesday. But we're just walking through and just seeing some of these characteristics of the millennial kingdom. Notice if you don't mind, we see some more. Notice with me in verse number 9. Isaiah 35 and verse 9. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion. Remember, Zion is a fancy name for Jerusalem. And shall come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What's another characteristic of the millennial kingdom? It'll be a place of the redeemed and the ransomed. The redeemed carries the idea that we have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been bought with a price. We have been forgiven of our sins. Our sin debt has been taken care of. The idea of ransomed is another picture of the same thing. That we in order to be purchased, uh, to go to God, we had to be purchased. If you could imagine a ransom is where someone was kidnapped. We were kidnapped because of sin. Jesus paid the ransom and he has now retrieved us back. He has purchased us with a price. What is the millennial kingdom going to be like? It's going to be the place where the redeemed and the ransom live. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Turn with me, if you don't mind, Isaiah 51. See what else the Bible has to say about this. Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51 and verse 11. Isaiah 51 and verse 11 is a song that many people are familiar singing. Isaiah 51 and verse 11. It says, therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Oh, what is it going to be like? It's going to be the place of the ransom, the redeemed. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion with everlasting joy. Now, think about this. The millennial kingdom is going to be the place for the ransom and the redeemed. Well, if the way that you get into the millennial kingdom is to be redeemed, have you been redeemed? And if you've been redeemed, who are you bringing with you? Have you been reaching out? Because this is available for everyone. The millennial kingdom is not a exclusive club. It's open to everyone. All they have to do is be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That anyone and everyone can go. You don't have to pay a million dollars to go. You don't have to be a perfect person to go. All you have to do, the requirement is that you're a sinner saved by grace. 
We know lots of sinners. You work with them. You live with them. And every single one of them can go. None of them are disqualified if they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior for the forgiveness of their sins. Who are you inviting to come with you? One last passage, if you wouldn't mind, Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42 is a very important passage because it speaks about what God has done. Isaiah 42, notice with me in verse 5. Isaiah 42, verse 5. Thus saith God the Lord, He that created the heavens and stretched them out, He that spread forth the earth, and that which cometh out of it, He that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and the Spirit to them that walk therein. So this God who has done all of that, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and will give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. Do you know that this God loves us so much that you don't even have to be Jewish to go? That God has lifted out his hands and went to the muck and the mire and he rescued me, a Gentile. He reached out and gave light. So even the Gentile, the heathen, anyone and everyone can be saved. Anyone and everyone can go. Notice as it goes on in verse 7. To open the blind eyes. To bring out the prisoners from prison. And to them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. You know what? We have a real God, not a pretend God. You know, one of the things that sometimes happens when I preach messages like this is that it's so fantastical. It is so great that we can't believe it. It is too good to believe But I'm not selling you a fairy tale. I'm not telling you a good story. I'm saying that there's a real God in heaven who wants to be with you. And he's reached out to you in your condition. You don't have to clean yourself up. He's willing to take you mud and all because he will clean you up. He will fix your sins. He will forgive you. He will redeem you. He will ransom you. Why? So we get a brag in our God. You know what's going to happen in the millennial kingdom? Is that we're all going to look at each other and say, so how'd you get here? And we're going to say, Jesus died for me. How'd you get here? I don't deserve to be here, but Jesus died for me. How'd you get here? Let me tell you, I was a low down rotten sinner and there was no hope for me. But Jesus saved me. How'd you get here? Oh, let me tell you about Jesus. No wonder we're going to break out into singing and start rejoicing about God. Because we didn't do anything to get there. Jesus did it all. Jesus did it all. The Lord reached out so that way we know that there is a real God. And this real God has made some real promises to us. We understand that from time to time there may be some people who say, Listen, I am so far gone that God can't save me. 
Listen, I may not know what a sinner you are, but I know what a savior he is. And he's willing to forgive you of anything. Now, for those of you who are redeemed, stop wallowing in the mud. Let's start rejoicing in God now. Let's start living for him now. And let's start inviting others to come and join us because it's going to be a wonderful place. By the way, this isn't even heaven. This is earth. God's going to fix earth. We've got something even beyond that when we look forward to heaven. This is a pit stop. And it's going to be worth it for a thousand years to live in these wonderful conditions. And by the way, God even describes more and we'll describe more about it on Wednesday. We have so much more to look forward to. Dear friend, let me ask you this. Do you have a song? Do you have a song? You say, well, I know several songs. I turn on the radio station. No, no. Do you have a song in here? Well, what's the song about, preacher? Is it a song where you're thinking about the Lord? And thinking about all the things that he's done for you? And thinking about how much he loved you? This is the song that should be on our hearts all the time. Especially if God is in our mind. When we're at a place where we don't have a song in our heart, it's probably because we've been in the muck of the mire and we're all dirty again. But when we're letting God take care of us and lead us and we think about all that he's done, it's very easy to sing praises to God. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. Do you have a song in your heart? Are you able to rejoice? Let me tell you, you better get some practice in. For a thousand years, we're going to be in a place where we're singing praises to him. Let's go to the Lord and let's talk to him now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And again, thank you for being such a great God that you told us about this wonderful place. That you gave so much scripture to describe what this place is going to be like and what we can expect. And if there was one thing that we could say... It's going to be a place of rejoicing. Oh Lord, there's going to be peace and there's going to be healing. There's going to be so much there. The curse is going to be removed. But how is the millennial kingdom, if we could describe it in one word, rejoice. Oh, there's going to be a lot of praises and a lot of singing. And Lord, help us to learn, us to learn to be thankful now. Help us to learn to rejoice in you now for all the miracles and the wonderful things you have already done in our life. Help us to be a rejoicing people. Dear friend, when's the last time you really took time to thank God? When's the last time you just got just you and him and you just started counting your blessings, naming them one by one? You just took the time to say, God, thank you for this. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for being good for me. Thank you for letting me have something to eat. Thank you for letting me have a good church to go to. Thank you for letting me. When's the last time you just were a thankful person? We're going to do it a lot in the millennial kingdom. But I think it would be good for us now just to sit down and rejoice in him. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.